This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. If I had to ask you the question, what is the biggest predictor of success in an individual? You're going to get a lot of different answers, but i tell you one that people focus on real quickly is IQ. That if you're smart, you're going to be successful. But how many of you know that's not necessarily true? How many of you don't, no show of hands, you know someone who is really smart and is still a doofus? You, you know that. <laughs> no, actually, IQ is important, but they found that there's another predictor of success that's even more important than IQ. And they've done studies, research studies, on Ivy League students, on military academies, and on the National Spelling Bee. Now, again, you got to have some level of IQ to handle all of those. But they're saying that there's something bigger than that. And actually, what they found, the research has found, is they've determined that grit, or grit and resilience, we're going to use them together, are a, a bigger predictor of success even than this regular IQ. Now, when I say grit, I'm talking about the ability to press through difficult times or delay, difficulty and delay, and to still keep going. That's grit. Resilience is the ability to bounce back after you have suffered something difficult or a hardship or a setback. And so they're finding that grit and resilience are the key factors in determining how successful someone's going to be, which is, is hey, it makes me feel better that it's not just IQ because grit and resilience can actually be developed. Now, I'm, I we're going over those because the movie that we're doing today is a documentary called The Dawn Wall. And The Dawn Wall is a documentary about the life of a, a man named Tommy Caldwell, who's what they call a free climber. And a free climber is someone who climbs mountains, and they, they don't use their equipment to pull them up. The only thing they use equipment for is to catch them when they fall. And so they climb just with their hands and feet, and they hold on to really small ledges. It, it, it's an amazing skill. And in the Dawn Wall, you see uh, Tommy Caldwell attempt to make a climb that almost every mountain climber has considered to be impossible. It, it's really a good documentary. We've got a clip for you right here. Hello? Hey guys, it's John Branch from the New York Times. How's it going up there? Good, John. Uh, how high up are you guys right now? We are about 1,200 feet up the wall at our base camp. This has been our home for nine days now. Tommy, I guess the, the bottom line question here, why are you doing this? What's, what's the point of all this for you? Inch by nerve-wracking inch, using only their fingertips to grasp razor-sharp edges. Tommy Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen attempt the hardest climb in the world. No one has ever free-climbed the Dawn Wall. 3,000 feet of straight-up granite. As a kid, Tommy was slow at everything. He had a lot of difficulty in school. The teachers actually at one point told us that he was mentally retarded and would never learn. I was like developmentally delayed through probably still. <laughs> um, I was this very fragile little kid, incredibly shy. But meanwhile, my dad was like the symbol of a man. He's like this big bodybuilder dude, 
and mountain climber, larger than life. Tommy was small. He was way behind, didn't crawl until he was over two. I think my dad felt the best way to prepare this fragile little kid for the world was to toughen him up a little bit. So he took me on all these adventures. Three years old, strap on the skis. Camping in a snow cave during the blizzard. Every summer, we'd go to Yosemite with my family, and my dad would take me climbing on these giant walls. Some of the craziest climbing stunts you could ever do. And he did it with a six-year-old. The things that Tommy's dad took him on, today you would have Child Protective Services coming after you. He basically took hardship and rephrased it as growth. He was loving, but he definitely let me suffer. The word that was in my mind was resilience. Seems to me one of the best gifts you can give your kid is an ability to deal with adversity. Okay, so next week, if we're not here, it's because we're going to uh, Yosemite and I'm gonna watch Joy climb the doll wall. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that, that is, that is, and if, if you've got heights, this is a freak out movie, man, because this, this if, if, it, if it bothers you. But he, you know, he said something I, th I thought was really interesting. He's talking about overcoming and teaching his child to overcome. And Tommy had more than just a mountain to overcome. You notice he said they labeled him as slow. He had to overcome that label. If, you, if everyone, anyone has ever labeled you or something, and I think all of us have, have gotten, maybe it's loser, maybe it's average, maybe it's below average, maybe it's slow. Those labels are difficult to overcome. And so they had to help Tommy overcome a label that he would developmentally never get there. Then they also had to, he had to get past a traumatic event. Tommy became somewhat of a sensation as, at a young age. And when he was still a teenager, he and his girlfriend, Beth, who was also a climber, and with two other climbers, they went to Kyrgyzstan, one of the stands over there. And they were, they were climbing in the mountain and they were kidnapped by a group of terrorists. And these terrorists were leading them through the mountains and most of the terrorist group broke away, but one terrorist stayed with them and they finally realized this guy does not know what he's doing. He's gonna get us killed. And so in, in order to free themselves, Tommy Caldwell actually pushed this terrorist off a cliff and killed him. Now, that will mess with you. And they said when he came back, Tommy said, man, he said, we were just so searching and so messed up. He said, we even went to church. <laughs> you know what, though, I, I'm thinking, uh, that, that makes sense. Because if you go to the right church, you can find some answers. And, um, and so he went looking for church. It, it never talks about him developing that, but you, you see that he went through that, that difficult time. And so he had that. Now, here's another thing. You notice how he, he's climbing. It, it, it's all hands and feet. But Tommy, after he married Beth, and they're living in Colorado, and he's working with some wood one day with a table saw and a piece of wood jammed, and Tommy cut his index finger off right just above this middle knuckle. And in fact, the doctor who was a mountain climber himself, when he came in after he amputated that finger or just sewed the finger up, he told Tommy, he said, your climbing days are over. The, the, the mountain climbing world in which he was a sensation pretty much wrote him off. They said, Tommy Caldwell's done. Tommy Caldwell actually was on that dawn wall with just part of a finger and taught himself and, and was able to overcome that. So we had that, but then maybe one of the most difficult things 
was that Tommy and Beth, who were such a team for such a long time, after they got married, he noticed a distance in her. And she eventually fell in love with another, another man and left Tommy. Now, you just lost the marriage, and you lost it in the, probably one of the most devastating ways. And Tommy said he actually would go to Yosemite, and he would look at that, that mountain. That's El Capitan. He would look at that mountain, and he actually contemplating doing what they call a free climb solo. And a free climb solo means you've got no equipment, no ropes, no partners. If you fall, you're dead. And he was going to do that because he thought, if I fall, then the pain will go away. So you've got a young man who had to overcome a whole lot to get there. And we wanted you to see just a little bit of the end of the, the, end of the, uh, the documentary. Pay attention to this first part because this, this gives you a great picture of how they actually climb and how sheer this granite wall was. It's really unnerving. You're just waiting to slip off at any moment. After 19 days, Tommy Caldwell pulling himself over the edge of the Don Wall. Followed minutes later by climbing partner Kevin Jorgensen. cheered as the two men accomplished a feat many said was impossible. Okay, anybody besides me weirded out when they were standing that close to the ledge and then I'm like, man, unbelievable. They, they climbed it. And they made it so Tommy overcame all those things because there was a bigger factor in Tommy's life. And it was the factor of grit and resilience. Did you hear what his dad said in the first clip? He said, we thought the best thing we could do is teach our, our son to handle adversity. Well, that's important. As a parent, I realized, and I, as a dad, I understood that I was to provide for my family and I was to protect my family. And one of the things I, I began to realize maybe later on in life was I was really to prepare my family adversity because I wish I could tell my kids that everything is going to be wonderful. It's not. And so you had to get them ready. So in Tommy, you see some of the, the factors that make up grit and resilience and you see them as you watch this documentary, you see some of them and researchers have, have proven this. They've shown this, that there are some factors that contribute to grit. One of the first ones in, in contributing to grit is the fact that uh, as, as Tommy is, is climbing, he's he sees adversity as more of a challenge than a threat. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? You see adversity as a challenge? Man, that, that's, that's hard. A lot of times when we see adversity, we see problems, it, it becomes a threat to us. If you're not careful, you can be motivated by fear. And Tommy wasn't really motivated by fear, and, but fear can motivate you. You know that fear can motivate you, it, it, but can, it can freeze you as well. <laughs> I love the story of the guy who is... Spent a little bit too much time at the bar, so he decided instead of driving home, he'd walk. He took a shortcut through a graveyard. He's going through the graveyard middle of the night, and on his shortcut path, 
he didn't realize they had just built a fresh grave and uh, just dug it, big hole, he falls straight in. This guy is not a mountain climber and he's a little bit inebriated. And so he keeps jumping, jumping, he can't get out. So he finally says, I forget it. He lies down in the corner. He said, they'll find me in the morning. He lies down in the corner and goes to sleep. About 30 minutes later, one of his party buddy comes, walking through the same shortcut, falls in the same grave. Never sees the guy in the corner. So he's jumping and jumping and trying to get out. The guy in the corner wakes up, reaches over and grabs his leg and said, it's no use. You'll never get out. <laughs> but he did. <laughs> fear, fear can motivate you. It can, it can move you. Towards, towards moving forward, yeah. But you don't want fear too long because fear really will drain you and can paralyze you as well. Adversity as a challenge and not a threat. There's another thing that we see in Tommy is he had a growth mindset. A growth mindset says, it's not a win or lose. It's not everything so cut and dried. I can get better. And a growth mindset is really important with, with grit and resilience because if you try something and you fail, it, it's a growth mindset that said, hey, I can get better at this. I, I am so glad that Joy and I determined that we could get better at being married because our first few years were tough, but we thought we could get better at it. And I'm grateful we had a growth mindset that the Lord could help us and we could come through it. So you could apply a growth mindset to your career, to schooling, to marriage, to family, to relationships. A growth mindset says, everything's not fixed. I can, I can improve on that. Another thing that they actually don't show you in the movie is the fact that Tommy and, and Kevin, his partner, had an entire support team helping them out. And they found that if, you're, if you want to be gritty and resilient in life, you've got to hang out with gritty, resilient people because the people you hang out with will influence you. That's why I think church is so great. If you, have, if you have church, then you come around people who love God, who have a relationship, who believe God, who believe God can do great things. That will build you up. People who don't quit, that will help you. And so you, you learn that and you, you see that. And, and so Tommy and, and Kevin, they had a whole support team made up of mostly mountain climbers. And these guys were encouraging them and helping them. And you don't see that support team, but they helped them do what they had to do. Now, I'm thinking this morning about a very gritty, resilient group of people we have here at the Ark, and that's our parking lot and our cart drivers, people who work outside, and let's give them a hand clap because they do a great job. The last, the last thing we see, and researchers have proven this, is the ability to laugh at difficult times. The ability to, to handle adversity and to be able to laugh at it. And you know, they found that humor has, is actually helpful in being a buffer for stress and adversity. When you go, if you can laugh about it, and, and th listen, scientists are proving this, but long before science ever proved this, God talked about it. And in the book of, of uh, Proverbs, it says this, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. Man, when you got a, a happy heart, I'm not saying you're laughing. You say, Alan, I'm going through a difficult time. You're saying, I'm supposed to laugh because I'm going through a difficult time. No, what I am saying is you need to laugh because these difficult times will not last and you're going to come out of it. That's how you look at it. There's a great verse in Job that said, at famine and destruction, I will laugh. And God sees what's going on in mankind and God laughs. He knows what's coming. If you believe something good's coming, you can start to laugh your way through it. I told a joke a number of years ago. By the way, if you're new to the ark, you say, does he always tell jokes? Yes. Are they always good? Not always, but I try. 
But here's what I, here's the reason I tell them. I, I like to laugh. Listen, if you can't laugh in church, where else are you going to laugh? I believe this is a place where we laugh because we've got merry hearts and it helps us. But I told a joke one time about a couple that's having marital problems and a lady wrote me the next week an email. Boy, she chewed on me for a while. I should have never told that joke. That was wrong. And I realized there was nothing wrong with the joke. There was nothing off color with the joke. But when you have a hurting, broken heart, you don't laugh. She was going through a difficult time and she was just hurting. And so she saw nothing funny in that. But you know, you know you're starting to come out when you can start to look at things and go, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to happen, but bless God, we're going to come through this situation and you can take a happy heart about it and you can come through. Listen, all of us don't climb mountains. I have absolutely zero interest in climbing mountains. But all of us face mountains in our lives. And our ability to face mountains in our lives is enhanced by how much grit we have, how much resilience we have, that refusal to quit and to just keep going even when things are tough. Now, in the Bible, it talks about some people who are pretty, I consider pretty gritty people. And then there's a ways that we can develop that. So let's talk about that. First, let me give you a good example of a, of a gritty little lady. She's found in Matthew. And it said, Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This is a gritty little lady. I mean, you think about it. She, uh, she had some things that helped her. Here's the first thing that helped her. She had a big purpose. If you ever had a child that's dealt with emotional problems, you know how agonizing it could be as a parent. She said her daughter was severely demon-possessed. This is a problem. And that big purpose, it was meaningful for her to get help for her daughter. And that big purpose was able to drive her own. But she also had a label she had to overcome. Two writers, Matthew and Mark, talk about this lady. Both of them mentioned how she was a Gentile. That meant she had no covenant. She didn't have the Jewish covenant like the, like the Old Testament covenant they had. She was not connected to God at all. In fact, the area of the country she was from was a very brutal culture. It was a very difficult, hard, pagan culture. And she had to overcome the fact that she had no Jewish heritage at all. And she's going to a Jewish man to ask him for help. And a lot of people would have backed off right there. Why would he even help me? But she had a big purpose and she was willing to push past that label. She didn't care what people thought. Then the third thing I like about this lady is even though she got discouraging situations and discouraging answers, she kept going. I mean, how would you imagine you, you go crawl out, you call out to Jesus, Jesus, you should probably start off real nice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> and Jesus ignored her. I, now you're thinking, hmm, that is so not right. So she went and talked to the, her, his disciples. Hey, Peter, Peter, you and John, Peter, Peter, Peter. I need some help. I need help. Could you get me to Jesus? Would you help? <laughs> she annoyed them so much 
that the disciples, these big burly disciples went, Lord, would you get rid of her? She's bothering us. She, man, she's just coming and come, won't leave them alone. And they ignore her too. Now she's thinking, now you're 0 for 2. And then she comes and she, she comes to Jesus and she falls down. She said, Lord, would you help me? She worships him. Lord, would you help me? He said, I will. He said uh, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dog. Oh, no, you didn't just call me a dog. <laughs> now, how many of you know how many people would have gone home? They might have stalked out of there, offended, and gone home and blown up Facebook. That preacher <laughs> called me a dog. I cannot believe that. So every time she keeps getting no answers, no answers, no answers. How many of the people, most people would have just given up and said, it's not my day. And the Lord said, I can't take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yeah, Lord, but even the little dogs get the crumbs. In other words, if the Lord calls you a little dog, bow wow. <laughs> and you know, Jesus had to smile. Because he looked at this lady, he said, he said, lady, great is your faith. He didn't use that superlative often. He says, great is your faith. When she went home, her daughter was healed and whole, lying on the bed, calm. She got an answer. Gritty, resilient. Can it make a difference? Yes. He said, well, you know, how do, I, how do I get better? Can I get better? Yeah, I believe. Here, I believe we can do this. There's not a whole lot I can do about my IQ. Kind of is what it is. My EQ is my emotional quotient. I can work on that. But I know one thing I can improve, and you can improve, is your GQ, your grittiness quotient. We can become grittier, more resilient. You say, well, how? Well, here's the first one. You have to have a bigger purpose about some of the long-term goals and problems that you're dealing with. A bigger purpose equals contributes to greater grit. Now, I'll give you a great example of this. It's Jesus. He's always our best example. It says here, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you realize it said that Jesus had a joy? He had something that was set before him, a bigger purpose. He knew that his going to the cross, his dying, his going to the depths of hell for us and being raised from the dead, he knew that if he did that, that in, in 2019, there would be people in Conroe, Texas who would have the ability to have him as their Lord and Savior, to have a relationship with God. He knew that billions of people would be saved. And he knew that that was a big, big thing for him. And it was that joy that helped him endure, to persevere, to not give up. Because Jesus had feelings just like we do. He's a man. And that the cross was awful, it was painful. But he said, man, there was a joy set before him. And so when you have something set before you like that, it makes it easier to get past it when you have purpose and meaning behind what you're doing. Classic example. And one of the grittiest people I know, somebody with a high GQ is my wife. She, you have to be to be married to me. But she, she was sick about 26 years ago. Joy was diagnosed with acute chronic pancreatitis. And it was, it could, it could proven it to have been fatal. She was struggling with it. It was very painful. She had just lost her, her uh, stepfather to, uh, to cancer. And she's laying down on the couch one day. And my little daughter, Christina, who was six years old, Christina comes and she sits on the couch. And Joy can tell she's real fidgety. 
And, and finally she said, what is it, Christina? And Christina looked at her mom. And Christina's got these big deer, deer eyes, these big doe eyes. Christina says, Mommy, are you going to go to heaven like Papa? And Joy looked at Christina. She said, no, no, Christina, we believe in healing. And Christina took that as an answer. She got up and she said, the Lord whispered to her heart, then you better fight. And Joy said that right then she realized for her daughter's sake, for her two little boys' sake, she needed to fight through. There was a joy set before her. She wanted to grow up with those kids. So she was willing to fight. She had a big purpose. And she said, Alan, I have no idea if I die, what kind of woman you're going to drag into this house. <laughs> so with that joy set before her, she decided to stick around. And thank God she stayed around for the last 26 years. And we've been married 37. And I'm really glad for that. You can find a big purpose in your job, in your family, in anything you do. Find a bigger purpose. Bigger purpose will help you persevere. It'll help you come through. There's a second thing that you're going to have to do is this. You need to spiritually begin to buy into the idea of rebranding yourself from a spiritual perspective. By rebranding, I mean so many people have branded themselves as unworthy or maybe not having the capacity to do. And sometimes people, they, out, they think themselves out of the fight before they ever get in the fight. Does that make sense? Before they ever get in, they, 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 they think, oh, I, I just can't do it. I, I, I don't have the capacity. I don't have what it takes. Best example I can give you of that was uh, years ago when I was in, uh, I used to run junior Olympic track. And when I was uh, 12 years old, I ran in the 11 and 12 boys division and went to a regional meet in Raleigh, North Carolina, won four first places. I, did, I tore it up that day. It was the highlight of my entire athletic career. I didn't realize it then, but it went downhill from there. But <laughs> at, at, at 12, I won that. And two weeks later, I was, I was sanctioned to run in the Junior Olympic State Championship for the state of North Carolina. So man, I was pumped, I was ready to go. And I, I showed up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. and had a really nice track. And I went and talked to a guy, had a hat, clipboard. I said, sir, I said, where, are, where is the 11 and 12 boys 100-yard dash? He said, uh, he, he didn't even look up. He said, son, there is no 11 and 12 100-yard dash. There's boys 12 and 13 100-yard dash, and they're all down there. I looked down there, and I thought, he's crazy because there was these huge gorilla kind of men down there. <laughs> they were big, man. These, all these guys were big. And I... Uh, I went down there, my heart sunk. How many of you know there can be a difference between a 12-year-old boy and a 13-year-old boy? It's called puberty. <laughs> and when it kicks in, it changes things. So I trot down there with my skinny little self. I'll never forget, we lined up, and there's the, the, the line, and I look down the line on both sides, and there's nothing but hairy legs on all sides. <laughs> and I had, I had three hairs. They were on this ankle, right, <laughs> right here. And I'm, I'm looking down. And all these guys are talking to one another like, good luck, good luck, good luck. I'm like, I had a little high, I'm like, good luck. Real, real high squeaky voice. And uh, they, they shot the gun. I, I did horrible. In fact, I did so horrible, everyone thought the race was over. I almost ran into somebody who was walking on the track to talk to these other people. And they thought, oh, someone's still running. So they let me, let me by. It was the worst race I'd ever run. You know, they've done research that says that you're, that your mind gives in before your body does? 
And I had given in. I had given up. I think spiritually speaking, sometimes I, I mention grit or resilience and people go, well, I don't have any of that. I don't have any of that. Listen, listen. God will help you. Let's lose this sense of unworthiness. Your worthiness is not based on you anyway. It's based on the fact that you receive Jesus as your Lord. And when you find out who he is and who you are because of him, you realize God has made me worthy and I have a lot more capacity than I thought I did. You know, we quote a verse in here every week. We say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Listen, that new creation is not weak and powerless. That new creation has, has been made with the life and energy of God in it. And you have much more capacity than you think you do. It's time to spiritually rebrand. That's one of the values of church is we're going to continue to tell you who God says you are, not what everybody else says. So you can spiritually rebrand. Here's the third thing. Buy into the concept of sowing and reaping. Won't have time to go into today, but sowing and reaping, big subject. But the idea of sowing and reaping is God's not mocked that whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Galatians says this. I'll give you this verse real quick. It says, a man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen, I know many of you, you say, well, what, what kind of seeds am I sowing? Your words are seeds, your actions are seeds. Your prayers are seeds, your service is a seed. Listen, if I can encourage you to do anything, keep planting good seeds. Keep planting seeds that are gonna produce, some of you are praying for lost loved ones and, and situations that are messed up. Keep praying, don't give up. Some of you are dealing with marital situations that are hard and you say, should I even continue to try? You keep trying, you keep planting good seeds. Some of you have been sowing financial seeds. You're like, ah, it's not even worth it. Should I tithe? Should I, should I give to the Lord? It's not worth it. Listen, don't give up. A farmer understands you don't plant a seed and then have it just step back and go, okay, I plant the seed. Well, let me get out of the way. No, you plant the seed. It takes some time. But you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. So just buy in. There's a spiritual truth of sowing and reaping. Buy in. Buy in. And then here's the, here's the last one. And, and this is real key. Keep yourself encouraged by believing that something good's going to happen. An expectation of good. You say, Alan, that's, Alan that, that's, that's wishful thinking. Alan, that's, that's positive thinking. Alan, that's hype. No, it's not. It's what the Bible calls hope. It's a positive expectation. And people who have hope, who expect something good to happen, are much grittier as people. They have a higher GQ, a higher grit quotient because they believe something good's going to happen. Believing something good is going to happen is a byproduct of believing the right things. And you believe the right things and you begin to expect the right things. I love this verse in Psalms 27, 13. It is a favorite of mine. I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Not the goodness of the Lord in heaven, the goodness of the Lord down here. He said, I would have lost heart unless I believed that God's goodness can help me. Listen, that's a, that's a powerful verse. You start looking at your situation, but do what Joy said. Can you begin to, to believe that God's goodness can show up in your situation? I don't know what to do, but I believe God's goodness can show up. I don't know everything that's going to happen, but I believe God's goodness can show up. I believe I'll see the goodness of the Lord in this life, in the land of the living. That gives you hope. That gives you expectation. That helps you stay gritty and resilient and stay in there. Here's the last one. They teach this to Navy SEALs and military people. It's called optimistic self-talk. Optimistic self-talk says you take, you take words and you talk to yourself. You say things like, 
This bad situation is not going to continue. It's temporary. I'm not terrible at this. I just had a, a bad day. You, you, don't, you don't talk down about yourself. They teach Navy SEALs to do this. I've got something even better than optimistic self-talk. It's called life-giving God talk. Life-giving God talk is where you take scriptures about what God said about you and you begin to speak those out of your mouth. It will absolutely help you. So instead of saying, huh, I'll never make it. I don't know what's going to happen. It's all messed up. You begin to say things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You begin to say things like, if God is for me, who can be against me? You say things like, I can boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. You begin to say things like, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm not saying you got to run out and tell the first person you see that, but when you're driving down the street, you can talk to yourself and you can give yourself positive self-talk before you go into your job. Don't be saying, oh dear God, when will I ever get rid of this job? Just say, God, thank you that you can give me favor. You surround me with favor is with the shield. I am the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm going over here. This is going to be a great day. That's a positive God talk and it will lift you and help you. Here's the last one. I'm going to close with this. Guys, there's painful things in life. I am not denying that. There's painful relationships and painful physical things. It's, just, there's, it's stuff. And you say, well, when will it ever end? When you go to heaven? But not until then. But here's the deal. We need to have the sense of an old, the old mule. Remember my story about the old mule? Kentucky farmer had an old mule. Got blind. He was blind. He was old. Farmer didn't have the heart to put him down. Mule's wandering around the farm one day and fell in an old abandoned well. He is braying and making all this noise. And the farmer said, you know what? I'm going to knock out two birds and one stone here. I'm going to fill in this well and bury this old mule, put him out of his misery. And so he got his sons together and they got some dirt. They began to dump it on top of the mule. When the mule felt that dirt hit him. He went nuts. He's jumping around in there in the well. And as he notices, he's jumping around that the dirt fell off of him. And he stomped it came up a little higher. They threw more dirt. He shook it off and stepped up. They threw more dirt. He shook it off and stepped up. They kept throwing dirt. He kept shaking it off and stepping up until just a few hours later, he stepped out over the edge of that abandoned well and wandered off one happy old mule. I believe that we're smarter than mules. And when problems come, Difficulties come and they try to bury you. Thank God you don't have to go under. You just shake it off and step up. And by the, and by the grace of God. Say, what do we call that, Alan? Being like a mule? No. We call that grit. We call that resilience. And you have the ability to do it. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Tens are bowed and eyes are closed. No one looking around if you came this morning and said, Man, I, I, I don't even know where I stand with God. I don't even know if I have a relationship with God or I used to have a relationship with God and I've gotten away. If that's you this morning, we're going to say a prayer for you. Now, we're not going to have you come here, stand up or come up to the front, but right where you are, we're going to say this prayer and it's a powerful prayer. If you're here this morning, you say, Alan, I, I, I really do want to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus I, I, I want, or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? If you just slip your hand up across this auditorium, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. It's a powerful prayer. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, I see hands in the back and the front. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. It takes courage to do that. It takes a little bit of grit. 
Anybody else? Wonderful. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Now, if you didn't lift your hand, you wanted to, you can jump right into the middle of this. It'll be the best prayer you ever pray. We're going to pray it with you out loud. Pray it so you can hear yourself pray it. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just one more minute longer. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer, who've come out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Father, I thank you for those this morning who came. Some have thought about giving up. Some have thought about the ultimate end of even taking their life. But Father, thank you. Their life is worth more. You value them as more. Thank you that all of us have the ability to increase in our gritty, resilient quotient. We can get stronger. And thank you that you're with us every step of the way. Give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.